Hi, you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenna Lee Samuel. On this show, I bring the simplicity of hearing God's voice into everyday life in a no-nonsense, authentic, and super practical way. With coffee in hand and real life in our faces, let's do this. ever faced a situation where you didn't know what to do and you wished that God could just speak from heaven and tell you exactly what you needed to do so success was sure? What if you could hear God's voice for yourself? What if you knew each morning when you woke up that he was literally waiting just to talk with you about your day and what is going on with your life at the moment? This would entirely change your view of God possibly, but for sure your relationship with him. Who wouldn't want that? If you've never heard God speak to you, this book, Listen, is for you. If you normally do all or most of the talking when you pray, this book is also for you. If you want to stop and really listen to what God wants to say to you, then this book is for you too. If you simply want a way to explore new terrain with the Lord and deepen your relationship with him, this book is for you. This is not seven steps to learn how to hear God's voice or hearing God speak for dummies. It is less of a how-to manual and more of an experiential workbook. You're invited to see part of Alan's journey to listen, encouraged to listen yourself, and then given space to capture what you believe God is saying to you that day in light of what you discover along the journey. So take the next 63 days to listen first for the voice of God and watch your relationship with him be transformed in a huge way. And side note, if you have people that you want to get a meaningful gift for for Christmas this year or for a birthday or a holiday, and you just don't know what to get, this book, especially if they're a believer, would be perfect. Teaching anyone how to hear God's voice and making space for them to do that is literally a life transforming opportunity. So don't miss out. Go check out alanchapin.com and grab the book Listen, or you can find it on Amazon as well. All right, back to our episode. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me again on Java with Jen. In today's episode, I have a special guest named Tiffany Yucky Brooks, and she is an author of this book called Gaslighted by God, which I'm so excited for her to explain to you. I know the title grabs your attention, which is part of why I love it. And she's going to share where that came from. But she is a PhD in literature. She's done a lot of deep study on the book of Luke, and I'm going to let her explain all of that. So I do not do any disservice to her experience and knowledge. But Tiffany, thanks so much for coming on my show. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. I really appreciate it. Um, Hello to your listeners. Um, Just as a brief introduction, I am a a former uh, literature and writing professor. So um, my study, my specialty is really how words carry ideas, how words impact people. Um, And that's a lot of what we're looking at in this book is how the language of religion has been uh, sort of manipulated at times um, and can cause damage, but also how we can how we can look at it and find healing and rebuild a healthy faith. The the, the subtitle of the book is called Reconstructing a Disillusioned Faith, um, because that's really the ultimate goal of the book. My master's degree, um, my my, my master's thesis is on the Gospel of Luke. um, So I've actually done a lot of theological work as well. Um, and, uh, I'm just, I'm really passionate about these topics because this, this journey is one that I've walked myself. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. I love that. And let me encourage any of you guys who are listening that if you have kind of just this instinctive, like guards go up, you're like, okay, a dissolution faith, deconstructing Christianity, gaslight. These are terms that are making my red flags go up. Listen, let me help you. The word of God tells us to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And there is nothing wrong with asking good questions that are meant to drive us into the heart of truth because God is there. God loves that. He is never threatened or intimidated by our question asking. And I brought Tiffany on because I personally um, have experienced some things growing up a Christian, hungry for the Lord, always want to please God. But in looking back through certain challenges and struggles and hearing from so many people, as a pastor, uh, who, who are well-intentioned, want to please God, that there are sometimes the enemy, especially when you desire to do what is right, the enemy will take the commands that are righteous and twist them and still try to put a burden on you. That's what we call legalism. (laughs) And so by challenging sometimes the things that we've grown up always hearing, especially when they're cute catchphrases in the church, And testing them and saying, is that really scriptural? Is that really leading me to freedom and to the heart of God? Those are part, that's part of how you love God with your mind. That's what we're going to do in this episode. And she has done the work that I haven't even been able to do. (laughs) And so we're going to pull on her wisdom and she has some really beautiful stories. So Tiffany, why don't you share kind of your heart behind the title of the book and then uh, go ahead and dive into your intro and kind of the beautiful analogy of Enos. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, I went through a really dark night of the soul, um, period of wrestling deconstruction without really knowing the words for it, you know, whatever you want to call that. I went through that for about a decade, really, really struggled. Um, and I felt like, you know, I was raised as the good church girl and, you know, the harder I tried and, you know, the, the more I was going to please God, you know, just sort of some of those bad theology, you know, um, the idea of, uh, of turning our faith almost into a transaction of if I do this, then God owes me this because really that's prosperity gospel just packaged as something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really wrestling with kind of breaking down those ideas and understanding that 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 there was more to God than that and that that was deeply limiting and 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 problematic. Um, but I really didn't know that anyone else was going through that. I was struggling with a lot of those feelings. And one day I finally just blurted out to my therapist, I feel like I've been gaslighted by God. Mm. And there was this long pause and that was like the end of my session. And then <laughs> um, it came back the next week and I was like, I think that's a book title. And she said, I think you're right. Um, because when I was teaching literature, whenever I would have a student say, you know, hey, why why isn't there a book about thus and so? Why isn't there something? And I'd always tell them, well, it's because maybe because you haven't written it yet. Mm. And so suddenly I realized that maybe God was telling me I needed to take my own advice. And that the reason that I hadn't read anything on this topic was because maybe I hadn't written it yet. Mm. And so now it was on me to take some of those thoughts and ideas and Hopefully there were other people, well, not hopefully there were other people out there, but if there were other people out there who felt this way, um, hopefully uh, they would, you know, also be able to connect with this book. Because of course, I, you know, anyone's going through this wouldn't wish these feelings on anyone, but it's also nice to find community. Um, So that's really sort of where the, where the title of the book came from was I wanted to do a title 
for people who are so soul tired and broken down and shell shocked in their faith, so to speak, which is a, a metaphor I use a lot in the book, mm-hmm. that they can't stomach one more book that says, well, if you just pray a little more, or you just submit a little more, or just squeeze yeah. a little more Jesus on the situation, it'll just all magically get better. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to write a book that was real and authentic and hit people where they were. Um, you know, as something I say in the intro is that this isn't a book for people who are asking, is it okay to be angry with God? It's for people who are already there mm-hmm. and are saying, okay, so what do I do with the anger? Because I want a healthy faith. Yeah. So um, to the introduction, yeah, the story that I open with is a story about Enos the space chimp. Um, and the first time I read it, just as I was reading about chimp language studies, which is how I came across it. I just started sobbing because it resonated with me Mm. um, in terms of my spiritual journey, um, like nothing else had. Um, And so the story of Enos is he was part of the Mercury Atlas space program. um, And he was trained for um, 1,250 hours in something called avoidance, an avoidance conditioning exercise. Mm. And what they were doing at that time, since they hadn't actually sent any humans into space yet, this was in the 1950s and 60s, Mm-hmm. is they were studying to see what the effects of zero gravity would have on mental cognition and primates. And so mm-hmm. like, is the blood getting to the brain in zero gravity? What will that m- mean for how they can carry out basic tasks? So they trained the chimps to, um, they would see a series of three images and they had to pull a lever to indicate which one was out of place. And if they got it correct, it would move to the next one. If they got it incorrect, they would receive a shock, an electric shock to their foot. Um, and so that was, that was how the avoidance conditioning exercise works. So on November 29th of 1961, um, one of the chimps in this program named Enos was sent into space um, and he started going through his exercises. Um, but with what they discovered once he got up into orbit was that there was a, a programming issue mm-hmm. and that uh, the program was actually there was a bug. And so even when he pulled the correct lever, he would still get a shock. Mm. Um, Yet, uh, despite that, Enos pulled the correct lever 33 times in a row, receiving 33 electric shocks, but he still continued to pull the correct lever. Then it went on to another exercise um, and a few more things. And then it circled back to this avoidance conditioning exercise. And this time with the bug still in place, he pulled the correct lever and got 41 consecutive shocks in a row. Wow. Um, at that point, recognizing that there was the bug in the program as well as an overheating issue in the capsule, they brought him down early. They ended him. He was supposed to do three complete cycles and they brought him down after two. But because of that, he landed miles off course. So he was strapped into this tiny, hot, cramped capsule mm-hmm. for more than three and a half hours hours before the USS Storms was able to find where he was in the Caribbean Sea and pick him up. When the scientists got a hold of him and they opened the capsule, this highly trained human stand-in had basically reverted back to a wild animal. He had ripped through the constraints, he had ripped through his spacesuit, and he had pulled out his catheter still inflated. Mm. He had caused this great harm to himself and he was just screeching at the trainers. And when I read that story, it resonated with me, like Mm -hmm. I said, in a way that nothing else had, because I felt like Enos. I had done everything the church had told me I was supposed to do as a good church girl. Mm -hmm. I checked every box. And then even when things didn't play out that way, I continued to stay faithful and I continued to do what God asked me over and over and over and over again. 
until I reached a breaking point. Mm -hmm. Um, because that wasn't the deal that I signed up for. That wasn't what I was trained for. I had been trained that if I did this, if I did the right thing, the right thing would happen. And I would feel the shock if I did the wrong thing, but not if I did the right thing. Right. Um, and so reading about this little chimp who more than 70 times continued, you know, you think about Jesus saying, well, you know, when do you forgive more than 70 times seven, you know, like <laughs> there, there even felt like symbolism in this story. Right. Uh -huh. um, and that just resonated with me. And as I was thinking about people who are struggling with disillusionment in their faith in mm -hmm. wanting to move away from toxicity um, and sensing, you know, that maybe this is, I, I've been fed some bad theology and I want to get to something healthier. I think a lot of us can, can relate with this tenacious little space mm -hmm. chimp who did the right thing over and over and then reached a breaking point and just started screeching at his handlers. Yeah. Um, and I think it's heartbreaking, but I think it's also really powerful. Wow. I, I so much agree with you. And I feel like, like even because I identified with, with Enos in my own story as well, you know, and I feel like for anyone who's walked with the Lord for any number of years, at some point you're going to encounter that you're going to encounter where it's like, hold up, the formula is not working now, <laughs> you know? And yep. I feel like, yep. I feel like that could be for a number of reasons. It could be that we're believing a twisted form of truth. Like, um, uh, like the one I heard recently, dead men feel no pain. You know, that's a twisted form of truth. I understand the point is. that is trying to be made like, Hey, listen, if you're dead to yourself and you're dying to yourself, you're not going to be easily offended. And there is some truth to that in that you can move into a place of having such personal responsibility that you don't let other people's behavior become your offense um, to some degree. But at the same time, like there has to be, there's, there's wisdom and balance. Even Ecclesiastes says a man of God avoids Absolutely. all extremes. When we live in extremes, Absolutely. we get into those twisted religious truths because a dead man may feel no pain, but if you're a living man, you're going to feel pain. And Jesus even acknowledged that. He said, Absolutely. you will have pain in this earth. You will have trials. You will have challenges. The only place scripturally that he says we won't have pain is heaven. And so the, the whole point of Jesus being so great is he walks with us through our pain. And so even yes. that they're trying to make a point, but it's a point that gets twisted in our hearing because mm -hmm. we don't know how to take that formula and translate it over to real life application, you know? And, right, and so, right. and for some people, maybe the, the struggle, the, where you feel like you're going to snap is that you're believing for a breakthrough in something. And, and yes. sometimes it's maybe our expectations are wrong. Maybe we're expecting God to act in a certain way. And he never promised that certain way. He just promised mm -hmm. an outcome. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hey, I will give you children and you can't have children, but you didn't realize he was going to, have you adopt a bunch of kids, you know, or whatever it is. Right. And so right. sometimes we get our minds fixed on a certain method that God will work in. And so there's all these different ways. Go ahead, Tiffany. Oh, no, I was going to say, and also, I mean, <clears throat> no, you know, all my love to pastors and pastors, families out there, mm -hmm. but we all know the good old preacher story, right? Where at the 11th hour, the miracle comes through and the check for the exact amount of the church that was about to go bankrupt or, you know, or, or something that happens in that amazing moment. And then it's, you know, the, the Hallmark movie ending. And then what happened? How do you feel when that doesn't happen for you? When that's, when that is what's held up over and over of, well, if you have faith, then God comes through at the 11th hour. And what happens when you don't get that 11th hour deliverance? What happens when that happy ending doesn't come to you? That can feel like, well, if, 
if I've been told that's what holding on to my faith means, if, if that's what being steadfast is, and that doesn't come through to me, then does that mean that um, I wasn't good enough or God isn't listening or God doesn't care? And, and then sometimes, and again, going to my title of gaslighting, um, because our experience of God doesn't match up with what we've been told God is like, and if God doesn't do that, then we're told, well, then something's wrong with you then you aren't praying hard enough. There's hidden sin in your life. Um, Rather than just realizing that sometimes things don't work out the way we'd like them to. And what do we do when those two things don't align? And unfortunately, the answer a lot of times is is victim blaming, Mm -hmm. so to speak, rather than saying maybe we have a misaligned understanding of who God is and how God works. Yeah. Especially how he works. Cause we even see that in Abraham's life, you know, like even yeah, in Hebrews, it says that Abraham never saw the fulfillment of the things that were promised to him, but he, he continued to believe and he was living for another kingdom, but we saw the fulfillment yep. of those things in the generations that came after him. And so Absolutely. God was true to his promise. Abraham was the father of nations, but it wasn't a promise Abraham was ever going to see with his own eyes. And so in that experience though, I mean, we saw Abraham felt a little gaslighted because he went and made a little Ishmael, right? He was like, Mm -hmm, okay, Lord, you're not fulfilling this. I'm running out of understanding of maybe you're going to do it this way. And so that's kind of a picture, I think of even like a scriptural example of that. I mean, David went through it. I mean, so many people, Mm -hmm. if you look at the examples of people who in scripture, got messed up in their head over how God was going to work. It was never an issue of if God was faithful or if God was unwilling to do what he promised. It was usually an issue of we didn't understand how he was mm-hmm. going to fulfill. Yes. And, and, yes. and I actually want to highlight that for a moment. Cause I have heard many times in, in churches and I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I've never heard it mistaught. Um, but just maybe not elaborated well enough where it's like, oh, just believe for the thing, believe for your healing, believe for your healing, believe for your healing, um, or believe for your breakthrough, believe for, and so a lot of times we think to have faith for something means I have confidence that what I've pictured in my head about how it's going to happen can happen, where in Hebrews, it says this, that Sarah believed simply that God was able Mm -hmm. to do what he promised. And that meant she was a woman of faith. And so I tell people, listen, don't get stuck. Please don't get stuck on an idea of how God's going to work because likely he's not going to work that way because he's so much bigger and more creative. (laughs) No, but I was going to say, I mean, that's exactly it. I do. I talk about Abraham and Sarah a lot in the book. Um, and, And one of the things that I think illustrates that point is in a lot of coastal communities, you'll find that during sea turtle hatching season, there is an ordinance that says that you can't have any porch lights on because what happens is the baby sea turtles hatch and they know instinctively that they're supposed to go towards where they see the lights because they see the stars reflected in the ocean. But if the porch lights are on, they get confused and they end up going inland instead of to the ocean mm-hmm. where they were meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk about how sometimes when God feels like God's not coming through the way we think he ought to, the way we think he should, the way we think we've been promised, or if God feels absent, Mm -hmm. that maybe that's a season where God has turned the porch lights off, not because God's abandoned us, but because it's to draw us to where we were meant to be, Mm -hmm. to where we are safe and protected and become our fullest selves. Mm -hmm. And that that metaphor of thinking about the baby sea turtles going to the ocean 
because the porch lights have been turned off has been so helpful to me in thinking about those seasons when God doesn't seem to be present in the way that I imagine God should be or what feels like a divine presence to me. Um, So it's not, it's not a withdrawing. It's not a punishment. It's an actually calling to where you were meant to be. Yeah, I agree. And, and I even, I, I feel like I shared with you earlier that I experienced that when I was dealing with my own disillusionment about where lines were, what boundaries could look Mm -hmm. like and what was, what was, um, holy behavior and what was not holy behavior. And that when I finally challenged what I believed maybe was unholy, like, or was uh, not submissive or not trusting God. And I said, I have to have boundaries or I'm going to die. And I felt the presence of the Lord fall on me. That was my first epiphany. Like I've been believing religious thinking that was probably legalistic. And you said something in the episode Mm -hmm. I listened to about that kind of defined legalism. And I'm telling you that helped me even since I listened to that episode uh, in a situation. Yeah. In a situation that frustrated me because someone put a burden on me and it it frustrated Mm. me at my core. I was like, why is this so frustrating? And I realized it's because they're, they're placing a lot of burdens, but they're not lifting any burdens and it felt unfair. So talk about legalism and how that plays a part in all this. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a whole chapter on legalism. I grew up in a very well-intentioned, but very legalistic faith. And um, one of the things I came to realize is legalism ultimately is an attempt to control God. Mm. Um, Like we know legalism is bad and it's gross or whatever, you know, but when you think about it in those terms that it's technically trying to control God, it becomes that much more insidious Mm. because what you're trying to do is say, okay, if this is the way I'm supposed to act, if I act this much more holy, if I take it this much farther then God is obliged to bless me, Mm. God is obliged to recognize the extra credit that I've done. Mm. And that's manipulative. We are manipulating God with legalism. And in Jesus's teaching, what's so interesting is you know, legalism is, is expanding the definition. And like you said, putting extra burdens on, but when Jesus does that, he never puts the burden on the individual uh, or excuse me, he never puts the burden on someone else. He always Mm -hmm. says, you need to take that extra measure on yourself. Mm -hmm. So when he expands the definition of what adultery is Mm -hmm. and says it's lust, He's not saying, and then that's why the woman is wrong. He's saying, and that's why if that's what you are feeling, you need to deal with that. Yeah. It's not somebody putting that burden on someone else. It's Jesus saying, you check yourself. <laughs> you know, when God, or when he talks about the, the restraints on divorce, uh-huh. you know, and, and that, you know, Jesus, he's, Jesus is saying, this is what you need to do because he's trying to protect vulnerable women. So every time you look at Jesus expanding the definition of something. Mm-hmm. It is not to put the burden on the, it, he's not saying, and then you pass that on to someone. He's saying, you take that on. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to um, wrestle with this sin, you need to be the one to check yourself. You need to be the one that takes these extra restrictions on. And so we really break down. Um, there's a story that we look at with Saul, Um, And it's this kind of bizarre, obscure story uh, where he makes this rash pronouncement about, you know, none of the troops of Israel shall eat anything until we've vanquished the enemy. And his son, Jonathan, doesn't know about it and finds some honey. And it's like, wow, why is everybody passed out and exhausted? 
you know, eat something. You've been in battle all day. And so Jonathan shares the honey with them and they eat it and they're revived and like, oh, this is great. And then Saul freaks out like Saul does uh -huh. um, and says, you know, hey, I made a declaration that, you know, before God that nobody was going to eat. Um, well, yeah, he was passing the, that's classical legalism because he was passing the burden on to other people. Mm, yeah. So then there's this fascinating detail in the story. Um, and again, and I, and I break down the whole story and analyze it to really um, parse what legalism does. But it said, I love this detail where it says, Saul built an altar before the Lord to, to atone for the people's sins, the first altar he had built for the Lord. And to me, that was so interesting huh. because that really gets to the heart of legalism, doesn't it? That Saul, who had had plenty of other sins in his life, the first altar he builds to atone for sins is because, oh, someone else sinned because oh, of wow. a burden he put on them. And wow. that detail, I think, is so telling. So that story that we really, you know, I parse in the book gets to the heart of how legalism works and how it really passes burdens off to someone else. And when Jesus speaks to people, he's reversing all of that. Yeah. He's saying, you don't put the burden on someone else. Yeah. Yeah. You take the burden. Oh, so you mean all those good Christian camps when all of my counselors were like, oh, you need to be careful how you dress. You need to protect your brother's <laughs> eyes by which I agree as a woman of God dresses sure. for modesty. Oh, yes. But absolutely. I have literally, I work in fashion now and I have literally sat with Christian women who are pastors crying because of the burdens they've carried, feeling like they should be ashamed of their bodies because somewhere along the line in their Christian experience, mm -hmm. they were told if he's struggling, it's shame on you. You didn't dress right. And which is interesting because doesn't, doesn't Jesus say if, if he's struggling, he should put his eye out. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's the know? new, and that's the old covenant is uh, the, the, I didn't want to call it a covenant because it was very beneficial, but the old covenant, sure. the, the legalism of the old Testament, yes. like you're saying, put burdens on people. That's the whole reason Jesus came. Cause he was like, exactly. I don't want you to live burdened. I don't want you to live feeling right. like you're, because that will wear you out. It does wear you out. Absolutely. Well, okay. And so another, there's a whole chapter to this in the book. And this is, <laughs> this is the part that I'm most excited about because I think it's the most freeing yeah. is there is a Hebrew concept called pekoic nefesh, which translates literally to saving a life. Mm. And what that means is that if there is, you, you, you are always supposed to prioritize life over the law. Uh, and so if there is a situation, so for example, um, on a high holy day in Judaism, if you have diabetes, you're allowed to eat and drink, even if you're supposed to be on a 25 hour fast, have some food. God would rather have you healthy and able to worship than dead. Yeah. You know, if you need to take medication with water, take it. If somebody has a heart attack on the Sabbath, you are allowed to dial 911. Now, normally, you know, for Orthodox Jews, making a phone call on the Sabbath would be disallowed. That is the concept of Pekoic Nefesh. And even though the words don't appear in the Bible, the concept we see is visible throughout. I mean, Jesus over and over, if, if a child, uh, you know, if a child or an ox falls into a well on the Sabbath, aren't you allowed to pull them out? Mm. David and his men eating the showbread, um, yeah. Jesus saving, you know, the, the woman who in John eight, who's, you know, being brought forward to be stoned for adultery. And he's like, mm. okay, well, whoever's without sin cast up. Jesus prioritized life over, over the law. And in fact, in Judaism, it's considered an honor. It's supposed to be the person who is the most religiously observant is supposed to have the honor of being the one to break the law in order to, in order to save life.
And I think that so many teachings in churches, you know, so many of us have heard growing up, well, don't trust your instinct. Don't trust your gut because that's the flesh. That's the flesh talking. And we don't want to trust in the flesh. The heart is deceptive. Right. Yes, exactly. Rather than recognizing that this was a gift that God gave us to protect ourselves. I think, you know, so often you hear, I mean, and I think women struggle with this, especially of, Mm -hmm. well, you know, I don't know. And I, you know, my instinct told me that there might be a problem here, but I, I really felt like I needed to submit, or I really felt like I needed to to reach out to this person, even though I really got the heebie-jeebies and it felt, you know, incredibly unsafe. But, you know, I was told that, you know, listening, listening to my gut was listening to the flesh and I just needed to trust God. No, Mm. I mean, yes, trust God, but trust that, that, that your intuition is a gift from God meant to protect you. And that is okay to have a boundary. Yeah. to protect life. Yeah. And we do honestly see that concept of having that inner intuition where Paul talks about um, such and such bore witness with my spirit. You know, he uses that phrase yes. where he said it bore witness with yes. my spirit, meaning there is, and I feel like in the, in the challenges and the trials that I walked through as well, one of the things I walked away, cause I, I lived under some leadership that was manipulative and gaslighting and controlling. Mm. And in some relationships, there were manipulative gaslighting and controlling, and there was some religious abuse and verbal and emotional abuse and all these different things. And what I learned in that is how much I had trained myself to bypass my heart and to override that inner intuition compass that God has given me and how much it actually destroyed me. It actually caused such a uh, cognitive dissonance inside of myself Yes, because I didn't realize my heart and my spirit were actually saying the same thing, but my mind was saying, oh no, you should actually submit to authority even though they're doing things that are really unhealthy right now, you know? And submit to authority. Absolutely. But we, we see that there's right ways to do that. And there's wrong ways to do that. And Jesus himself had tons of boundaries and absolutely. And when people, you know, as you were saying, you know, and it's true that some people you hear words like deconstruction and, and, you know, and this is scary or, or questioning or not submitting. Jesus was a deconstructionist. Jesus called out the religious leaders of his day and said, what you are doing is toxic and is contrary to the heart of God. Yeah. And that's, th- that's what, that's what deconstruction is. You know, I think there's some there, you know, it's kind of a boogeyman right now because it can mean so many different things, Yeah. but ultimately like just the basic idea is it is saying, let me break down, let me closely look and examine what I believe, what I have been taught. Mm-hmm and pull out the parts that are not true to the heart of God, yeah. that are that are maybe cultural things that have been kind of ossified and presented to us as gospel, mm-hmm. but aren't really, aren't really what God is telling us to do or what Christ is calling us to do. Yeah. And that's all that is. Yeah. And so, you know, the whole goal of this book is to help people who find themselves sort of in the middle of that process. Maybe they didn't want to be there, right. you know, but they're there anyway and say, what do I do now? Well, let's look at how then do you, how do you rebuild? How do you reframe? How do you understand the Bible and your relationship with, with other people of the faith in order to rebuild a faith that's healthy, that is life affirming, that is closer to the heart of God that has shed the toxicity of legalism and, um, and, and, and exclusion and all of these things that put 
that put burdens on us that were we were never meant to carry. It's true. Okay, so obviously, you guys, we've just really gotten into the meat of this conversation. And um, Tiffany is so sweet to offer to give us a second episode where we can dig more into her story. I would like to dig a little deeper into the idea of deconstructing your faith because there's so many uh, misnomers around that idea in our culture, but I believe it is a way of loving God with our mind. And so we're going to wrap this as part one. We're going to go into episode two next week. So Tiffany, why don't you let people know how they can get a hold of you, how they can get this book, and we'll go into life hacks. Absolutely. Okay. You can find me. My website is tiffanyyeckybrooks.com. Yecky is Y-E-C-K-E. Um, you can find me on Substack. I've got a Substack, tiffanyyeckybrooks.com, or it's called the Leros Project, L-E-R-O-S. Just launched it, the Leros Project. Um, or you can find me on Facebook as well, Tiffany Yecky Brooks or Tiffany Yecky Brooks PhD. You can find me there. Okay. And your book is on Amazon. I've seen it on there. My book is on Amazon, Christian booksellers, Barnes and Noble, local bookstores, wherever you want to find it. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tiffany, for sharing all that. I'm excited about part two here. Um, so let's do you guys don't go anywhere. We're going to go into life hacks. Tiffany has a great life hack for you. Hold on one second. Okay. So go ahead, my life Tiffany. hack. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. And so this, it's actually a writing life hack because oh. I know a lot of people find, a, you know, find writing very life-giving. So Ernest Hemingway allegedly <clears throat> would leave a sentence half finished at the end of the day so that he said the next morning I always knew where to pick up with my writing okay well that's that's pandemonium I can't do that <laughs> so what I have found that is really good for helping people helping me maintain momentum and then know where to pick up the next day is that if I'm writing and I can't think of the word I need I give myself no more than 10 seconds to think of it and then I just put four x's and I just keep going so I don't break the flow of what I'm doing oh there you go the next day when I sit down, the first thing I do is do a control F search for every place those X's appear in what I wrote the day before. Hmm. My brain will have usually puzzled it out, you know, overnight so that I know kind of what word or phrase I want to fill in there. But also that gives me a chance to review what I was writing the day before. And it provides the runway into what I'm going to write that day. And I have found that it's extremely helpful um, both in terms of not breaking momentum or losing your train of thought when you're in the moment in your writing. And it's also really, really good for providing that runway into how to get started the next time you sit down to write. That's excellent. I love it. That's great. So any of you writers or bloggers or article writers or aspiring writers, that's a really great pointer. I love that. I love that. And I've been writing for a magazine here for the last couple of months and I'm like still figuring out a groove for writing. Like I love writing. I've done it my whole life, but you know, that's a really good tip. I appreciate that. Okay. Awesome. So Tiffany, thank you so much for everything that you shared. I'm excited about part two, where we can dig a little deeper. <laughs> you guys, you don't want to go anywhere. Stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed. So you don't miss next week's episode. Otherwise feel free to share this episode, throw it on social media, tag me, tag Tiffany, uh, throw it on social media, share it with your friends, because we want to encourage people to love God with their mind as well. And asking questions is not sacrilegious. It's not a lack of faith. It is part of how you dig deeper into the heart of God and give him an opportunity to lead you into truth in yet another way. So thank you, Tiffany, for coming. And you guys will see you next week at Java. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. Listen. Let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. 
it's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Also, don't miss our merch store where you can get super cool Java with Jen swag and coffee. Find it at javawithjenmerch.com. Until next time, remember, hearing God's voice is simple and he wants to be a part of your everyday life. See you next week.